those of you who came to honor your mom today, mom said we're going to church today, and you said yes. You look great. Good job. Before we begin this morning, I want to I want to give you a, kind of a, just a moment of pause, just a breather in our week. This may be a just a, a moment of stillness for you, and I invite you to bow your head with me. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Let it out. We have said some things about God. We've said some things to God. He uh, may have spoken to us through these last few moments. What would it look like for you to pause for a moment and to welcome Jesus Christ who is here? To welcome Him to you. Jesus, in this moment, I welcome you in my life. And as you do, I know that we have welcomed everyone here this morning, but what does it look like for for you to hear Jesus welcoming you? I love you. I am here with you. I don't just welcome you, I welcome all of you. And so, Jesus, we enter these next few moments together as we begin to open your word, uh, just with you, very present with us, longing to speak to us and walk with us and sit with us. We welcome you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I've been intrigued with this question that I, I think is buried deep in the hearts of all of us, actually. It's deep in our souls, and it's this. If people really knew my story, who I really was, what I have done, would they accept me? And how we answer this question, I think, can lead us to construct a careful life of image management. And the way that, one of the things that really doesn't help this is the way that we often see other people's lives, right? How does she so effortlessly balance work and motherhood while I'm barely keeping it together? How come that guy gets the glamorous job? How come he got the promotion? Look how perfect their life is. Why can't I look that good in a bikini on my vacation? You know I'm doing different voices, right? Like that's, there's a guy, then a girl, then, oh, yeah, okay. But we see other people's lives, and we talked a little bit about highlight reels. Stephen Furtick said this. He said, the reason we struggle with insecurity is because we compare our behind-the-scenes with everyone else's highlight reel, right? Now, we talk a lot at Pulpit Rock Church about being messy. You may wonder, why do they talk about that? What does that mean? When we use the word messy, what we're saying is this. We're all on a journey of unfinished faith. But that's not something we're always comfortable admitting. And so we airbrush, we edit, we massage the message of our lives, and we remain silent about who we really are. Because I tend to believe the lie that you will only accept the curated version of me. But something happens when we begin to feel safe to share our story, and it's this. We begin to find Jesus in that story. I like how Elie Wiesel puts it. He says, God made man because he loves stories. I like that. 
I think that God loves stories because in our stories, He is revealed. And when we share our stories, it invites us to see ourselves in the story of God. What I'd like to do this morning with you is I'd like, you to, I'd like to tell two people's stories from Scripture. Two people for whom telling their stories paved the way for God to be revealed in a new way. Paved the way for something. The first story we're going to find is in Mark chapter 9. If you'll turn to the Gospel of Mark or pull it up on your phone or however you do that, but Mark chapter 9. And here's the first story. So as you get into Mark chapter 9, you, it begins with this story of Peter, James, John, and Jesus coming back down the mountain. They just had this incredible encounter. They heard the voice of God. When they get to the bottom of the mountain, in verse 14, they come back and they rejoin the troop. Mark records this, the four of them made their way back to the other disciples. They saw there a large crowd surrounding them, legal experts arguing with them. As soon as the crowd saw Jesus, they were astonished. They all ran up to greet him. And he said, what's all the fuss about? Teacher, said someone from the crowd, I brought my son. He's got a spirit that, keeps, that stops him speaking. Whenever it takes hold of him, it throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He goes rigid. I spoke to your disciples about casting it out, but they couldn't. So the rest of the disciples have been trying everything they know how to do to cast out this demon, and they have failed. Thank goodness Jesus showed up, right? Verse 19, he's looking at his disciples. You unbelieving generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. They brought him to him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground. He rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Now, Jesus can see what's happening. Jesus knows what's happening, but he asks a question. He pulls the father in. He says, how long has it been like this with him? Since childhood. Often it even throws him into the fire or the water to kill him. But if you can do anything... Please, please help us. Have pity on us. I think everyone's frustrated in this story. The disciples are frustrated with their failure. Jesus is frustrated with their lack of faith. This father is frustrated with this, this suffering he's been powerless to prevent. For years, his son has battled this unseen force. Imagine the lengths this father has gone to just to try to keep his son from killing himself. Maybe he ties him to his bed at night. Maybe he has some kind of leash when they get too close to the water. Imagine the places that this father can't go. Can't go to the synagogue. Can't go to the market. Can't go to someone's house. Imagine the friendships that he can't have, the, the work he can't get. It's a full-time job. Surely Jesus is going to have some sympathy or some compassion or care, right? Verse 23. What do you mean if you can? <laughs> Everything is possible to someone who believes, said Jesus. At this, the father gave a great shout. He cried out, I do believe, he roared. I, I believe, but I, help my unbelief. It, you have this sense almost from the, the, the text that, that Jesus is kind of rebuking him. If I can, do you know who I am? Have you heard about what I've done? But I don't think he's that harsh with this man because I, I, I really can't blame this man's question. If you can do anything, how many nights has he stayed awake cradling his son and crying out to God? 
How many times do you think he's asked God, heal my kid, and nothing has happened? If you can. This man is broken open here, and and what you see happening is this. He doesn't do image management. He doesn't put on a brave face. He didn't try to bluff. He didn't try to say things like, well, and and I've I've been such a good person, you should do this, or or, I've tried this, or he is transparent. Jesus, this is who I am. Will you help me? I don't know, I can imagine this, this is just conjecture, I just, I wonder what it was like in the early days when his son was little and people would come by and he was dealing with this thing and they would ask him, hey, how is your son? Oh, it's all good, it's all good. Well, how are you doing with that? Oh, it's fine. Well, how's it going? Oh, we're making some progress, yeah, got, got a new person, doctor we're talking to and yeah, things are good. I don't know. But he doesn't do it here. I do believe, help my unbelief. And this is unfinished faith, and Jesus responds to this unfinished faith by by casting out this demon, and the boy is restored. Now, of course, on the main level, this is a story about the power of Jesus. On another level, it's uh, about the power of faith. But I submit to you that on another level, this is about the power of our story. Here is the Father's story. I do believe, help me in my unbelief. It's a risky move to admit in front of a whole crowd of people that you don't have it all together, that your faith is unfinished. He's admitting that he's a failure. I've failed. I've tried everything I could to help my kid, and I couldn't do it. I feel like the worst father ever. There's no mention of a mom. I don't even know where that is, but he's just opening up his life. I believe, help my unbelief. My faith is unfinished. I am messy, and Jesus makes it safe for him to tell a story. Why? Because Jesus knows this transparency leads to transformation. Now, if you were here last week, you might say, well, Thomas, last week you said that welcome precedes transformation. You're right. I did say that. When we accept one another, it opens the door for Jesus to go to work. But what I want to share with you today is there's another tool of, of transformation, and it's transparency. When we tell our true story, I do believe, help my unbelief, your son is healed. Now, that's the first story. I want you to look at a second story, though, of a time that someone shared their story with Jesus. What's interesting about this story, though, is that Jesus is the one that actually draws it out. John chapter 4. If you go to John chapter 4, as I began to to go to that chapter, you might think, wait, I, I think I know this story of this woman by this well. But let me just recap it for you. In John chapter 4, we find Jesus traveling through Samaria. If you were here last week and we talked about the Canaan area, the Canaanite woman, it's kind of a similar area. This is the wrong side of the tracks for good Jewish people to be. Jesus and his disciples come to this well. It's the middle of the day. Jesus says, I'm thirsty, I'm hot, I'm tired. The disciples say, why don't you rest? Jesus, we'll go back into town, we'll buy some food, come back, we'll eat some lunch. In the middle of this, this woman shows up. She starts to draw water out of the well. Jesus strikes up a conversation with her, and they begin to talk. And then in the middle of the conversation, this happens. Jesus says to her, woman, go and call your husband and come here. I haven't got a husband, she replied. You're telling me you haven't got a husband, replied Jesus. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the one you've got now is not your husband. You're living with a man who's not your husband. You were telling the truth. 
In this little exchange, it's revealed that she has had five husbands, and currently she's living with a man who's not her husband. Now, this is, this is divine revelation. Jesus didn't hear a rumor. He didn't, uh, you know, scout out the town ahead of time. And, and have his, he just, he sees her, and somehow divinely God communicates this. He knows this truth about her. She senses that he's got some kind of connection with God. This revelation leads to a conversation about God, and it ends with this woman running back to town to tell everyone she can about Jesus. Now, what I've always heard in this story, what I've always heard when I've heard this story taught, is that this woman is some kind of vixen. She's an immoral woman. In fact, I I get a devotional that was sent to me during Lent every week and is written by people in our city, and one of the devotions I read this last month, the author said this, quote, The woman is fetching water at noon, not because it is a convenient time, but because she was a social outcast and everyone else would have fetched water in the cool of the morning. She lived in shame because of her status in the community. Hands up. How many of you have heard some version of that story about the woman at the well, right? Okay, wow. She's been married five times and got divorced. And I, Oh, man, she, this is proof of her morality. She's shacking up with a guy. And clearly, she's living a life of sin. When Jesus brings up her, uh, her situation, you've had five husbands, uh, the first thing out of her mouth, she starts talking about where to worship God. And we always go, oh, you know what she's doing? She's trying to change the subject because she feels so uncomfortable. But if you strip away what we've added and you just pay attention to the text, you find this is not a story of sin as much as it is a story of suffering. We're shocked to find that this woman had been married five times, but many people in the ancient world often found themselves widowed due to death or disease, sickness. They were remarried. They were in these situations maybe two or three times. John actually does not tell us anything besides the words of Jesus. You've had five husbands. We don't know why. John doesn't say why the woman was at the well at noon. The idea that she's there because she has been shunned by the community has no substance in the text. John simply points out that it's noon. Why does he point that out? Because that explains why Jesus is tired and hungry and why his disciples are gone and he is alone talking to this woman. And what about this line when she, when she does that? So he says, you've had five husbands. The next words out of her mouth are, well, sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Clearly you have some kind of divine connection Let me ask you this. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you, the Jews, say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. So which is it? And our assumption is Jesus brought up this thing about her husbands, and she's so uncomfortable, she changed the subject by this random theological question, right? But let me ask you this. Where in the Gospels do you ever see Jesus being dissuaded from a conversation he wants to have? Never. I don't think she's out foxing him at all. Do you know the most frequent criticism that we get at Pulpit Rock? It's not Jonathan's jokes. Um, That's actually the second most frequent criticism we get. get. It was funnier in the first service when you weren't in here, but now I just feel mean. Uh, The most frequent criticism that people often lob at our church is, you guys don't talk about sin enough. Let me shoot straight with you. We should talk about sin And we do talk about sin, but how we talk about sin is so important. There are so many bad ways to talk about sin that lead people to shame or guilt, but doesn't offer them true hope and transformation. 
We want to take our cues from the ways that Jesus talked about things. Nowhere in this story, it's going to, I'm going to startle you when I say this because you're going to go, no, no, it's surely in here. Nowhere in this story does Jesus tell her to stop sinning. He doesn't say, go get back together with your last husband. He doesn't even say, stop living with the man. Now, why does he not say this? I mean, clearly this woman's a sinner. I mean, I'm a sinner. You all are sinners. Why doesn't he bring this up? Why does Jesus blow his big chance to call sin, sin? Because maybe hers is not primarily a story of sin, but a story of suffering. Step back for a minute. Peel away all the, the, the shame and the, the, the stuff we've kind of labeled her with. Just, just let her story sink in from the text. She's had five husbands. Five times she gave her life, she gave her heart to someone, and it got ripped away. Maybe some of her husbands had died. Maybe some of her husbands had divorced her. Maybe some of her husbands had cheated on her. Maybe she had cheated on one of her husbands. We don't know. Now she's living with this man. Why? We don't know. After having five husbands, it might be the only option she has as a woman with no means of income, just trying to find a place to sleep at night. The point is, we just don't know. Now, is there sin here? Yeah, there's sin probably in this story, just like there's sin probably in every one of our stories. Jesus saw her sin. He knew he was going to deal with her sin one day. But the biggest story in her life in this moment by this well was not sin. It was her trusting a God she cannot find. He's not on this mountain. He's not on this mountain. He's not in my life. Where is he? Trusting this God that had failed her five times. Trusting this God that has been so far away from her her whole life that it's almost hard for her to realize that he might be standing two feet away. You know, we say, well, she changed the subject. Did she? If you were a woman with this story and you begin to share it with a man like Jesus and you begin to sense that he knows God personally, don't you think at some point you'd want to ask a question about God? About what it means to worship him? About where you can find him? About where he's been all these years when he hasn't been in your life? I don't believe her theological question is a diversion at all. I think it is the deep longing of her heart. Where is God? Is he on that mountain? Just that mountain? Is he here? Is he in my story? Like I said, what I love here about this story that's different is that Jesus is the one that calls this story out of her. As Lynn Kohick writes, Jesus guides us to answers for which we had no questions. The gospel is far more encompassing than either the Samaritan woman or Jesus' disciples realized. Jesus challenges social prejudices, brings visibility and voice to the invisible and silent in society. And then she says this. In giving a voice to the Samaritan woman, John encourages us to tell others about our encounters with the Savior. And may those who hear our story, by God's grace, respond like the townspeople believing because of our testimony. Because Jesus made it safe by this well for her story to be shared, her life was transformed, and that transformation touched an entire town. Transparency leads to transformation. Now, those are the two stories that we see in the book. 
what about us today, 2019? What happens to us when we find it safe to share our story? I want to share three stories with you. Here's the first one. This week, I got a chance to speak at Life Network to their staff. How many of you guys are familiar with Life Network in our city? Yeah. Uh, if you don't know them, uh, their work is towards saving the lives of unborn children in our city. People will walk into one of those centers. A woman will walk in, and she's pregnant, and it's unwanted, and she wants to terminate this pregnancy, and she's heard that this place will do free ultrasounds, whereas it's going to cost them $1,000 somewhere else. And so they're coming for that, or maybe they're coming because they got heard there's some resources here, or they just need some guidance, whatever. They walk in the door. Life Network helps them. They also uh, help saving the lives of parents as well. This is something I really love about Life Network is they care about life beyond the womb. So mom and dad, you're going to still get help from us. We're going we're to coach you. We're going to mentor you. We're going to offer you parenting classes. We're going to offer you resources and diapers and cribs. We're going to find a way to help make this work. They do a great job. By the way, their Walk for Life, where they raise money for this, is coming up the first Saturday in June. If you want to find out about that, go online. So Life Network does a lot of good in our city, but let me tell you what I told them Wednesday when I got a chance to talk to them. I, I told them, I said, this is what I think you do the best of all the things you do. You see, at Life Network, they see a steady stream of people by the well. And sure, if someone shows up at their door with an unwanted pregnancy, there's probably some sin in that story. Maybe sin they've engaged in, maybe sin that was done to them. We don't know that story, but what's true about everybody's story is that they are suffering. And so I told Life Network this, I said, the most powerful thing I think you do, I think your superpower, Life Network, is that you let people share their stories. When people walk through their doors, they're looking for help, they're looking for hope, but they're also looking for a safe place. Can I share my story? Most people that walk in probably don't have a safe place to share that story. I'm pregnant. I didn't plan on it. I feel shame. I feel confused. I feel alone. Can't tell my mom. Maybe I can't tell my dad. Maybe I can't tell my boyfriend. I don't know if I could tell my friends or my coworkers. I don't know where in this city I can go to tell someone this story I'm carrying all alone. And for people with a story of suffering with no place to turn, Life Network says we're that safe place. Why? Because when people walk in the door of Life Network, they don't see them primarily as sinners who need to stop, but as sufferers who need to share a story. And as people begin to share their story, there's space for them to find a savior. There's space for transformation. And this is why last year, 259 women walked into the doors of Life Network intending to term terminate a pregnancy and walked out choosing life for their little one. Because being a safe place for people to share their stories paves the way for transformation, literally. As I'm thinking about you today, I wonder, there, there might be some of you who are in that situation. You can empathize. You felt like you didn't have a safe place. Maybe you regret decisions that you made. I want you to hear that Jesus sees you. He sees your suffering. He wants to be part of your story of forgiveness and hope and healing. Story number two. A few months ago, I was approached uh, by this gentleman after church, and he said, I'd like to share my story with you. And I said, I love that. It's my favorite thing in the world. So let's go grab a beer sometime and do that. And he said, let's do it Thursday. And we did. 
He started telling me about his struggle with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. Now, cards on the table, in 30 years of ministry, I've never had anybody tell me a story about having OCD. It was eye-opening to me. I didn't really know what was going on. It was eye-opening to me to hear the story of his suffering and how it had gripped him, but also to hear ways that Jesus had given him victory in this. It was great. We finished up this story, and he said, look, I don't know what you can do with my story, but if anyone ever comes to you and says that they struggle with OCD, I'm here as a resource, and they can talk with me. And I was like, man, that is so kind of you. That is so great. And as I walked away, I thought, well, Lord, I mean, I've only had one person in 30 years bring this up to me, and it was just this week. So I don't know where that's going to go, but that's kind. I'll file it away. One week later, we get an email. I don't go to your church, but I struggle with OCD. Is there anybody at your place that can talk with me? We got them together. This is what's amazing. This guy had the courage to share a story with me. Sometimes when you share your story, you don't even know how your transparency is going to pave the way for someone else's transformation. He didn't even know that the clock started ticking. All right, last story. About a month ago, we had this thing at Pulp Rock called Adult Swim. Adult Swim is an event we do for parents uh, multiple times throughout the year. Uh, we kick the kids out of the room. It's just parents in the pool. We talk about important things. I think it's one of the best things we do as a church. This Adult Swim was for families in our church who have LGBTQ family members. It could be a grandchild. It could be a, a brother or a, a cousin or a sister or a kid. And, and we just said, hey, you know, if that's the situation you're in, I, I bet you have a story to tell. We would love to bring you together to a place where we're not going to talk at you, but we're going to hear from you. We're going to let you share. What's, what's your story? What's going on? How, what, how, what's it like? Now, I know that topic may make some of you nervous. You might even wonder, why in the world would they talk about that? Do you know how many people from our church showed up to share a story about a family member? 30. 30 people. I looked out, I was astounded. I saw these 30 folks and I thought, there are important stories here. And I had prepared this long list of questions because we didn't know how it was going to go and I thought, oh man, it's going to be like an awkward conversation. I'm gonna... So let me just have a bunch of questions ready. I asked one question. Would you stare, share your story? And we were off to the races. And an hour and a half later, I was like, okay, can you stop sharing your stories? Um, because it's time to go, we have to go have dinner, but change phone numbers and keep having conversations. Over and over again, what I heard was this, and this encouraged me and broke my heart at the same time. Over and over. This is the first time we've ever shared our story in a church. We didn't know church could be a safe place for that. People, what I want you to hear this morning is that Jesus makes it safe to share our stories. And when we are transparent, it paves the way for transformation. So as I close, let me ask you to consider this. Will you live a life of image management or transparency? And if you're wondering where you can go with that, I hope it's Pulpit Rock. Pulpit Rock here, we are intentionally different about the ways that we treat people's stories. We receive them, we value them, we try to listen without judgment, we try to be agenda-free because we believe in a God who works through story. 
And what empowers us in this belief is the way that Jesus saw people. When Jesus saw people, he didn't primarily see them as their sin. He knew he was going to deal with that on the cross. When Jesus saw people, he primarily saw something else. And it's one of my favorite words in the entire book, Matthew 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? When Jesus saw the crowds, he had what? What? Compassion. Why would he have compassion for this bunch of sinners? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus Christ knew, I'm going to deal with sin. The cross is coming. That's my mission. And so when he saw people like this woman by the well or this frustrated father, he didn't primarily see their stories as sin they needed to change, but as suffering they needed redeemed. And this is because Jesus took time to listen to their stories, to say, tell me more. I want to hear And in their stories, God was revealed. If other people really knew your story, would you feel safe? Would you feel seen and known and loved? Is God stirring something in you right now that you you have a story to share with someone? Let's take those questions in prayer to God. Would you Pray with me. Jesus, we know that the first person that we want to be transparent with to begin to see transformation in our life is you. To be transparent about our failures and our sin and our our anger towards you, our rejection of you, just to to be open about that with you and to let you speak into that. We do believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, there are parts of our story that just like this woman, you already know, but we've never had a conversation with you about it. Are you safe for me? Jesus, can you step into my story and redeem it? Show me a future with hope. And then Jesus, this question, is there someone you want me to share my story with? Do I need to ask you for some courage to tell someone something I've not told and by faith to see that you make it safe. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.